Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. It's a great pleasure to welcome a man who has won two Sam Maguires in the late 80s, five Leinster titles, three league titles, three All-Stars. He is perhaps better known as one of the leading football uh, pundits on the Sunday game for 25 years. Colm O'Rourke, it's a great pleasure to have you on the programme. Uh, Thank you. When, when, when they provide me with detailed research, there's always something I never knew about the person. Uh, two, one shocking thing, one curious thing I learned. The shocking thing is that in two weeks' time he'll be 60. And the, <laughs> the curious thing is that while I associate you with uh, Meath and all things to do with Meath, you're actually a blow-in. You were born in Leitrim. That's right. I, we moved from Leitrim to Meath when I was eight years old. So my early life was in Leitrim. My father was a farmer. He was a big, uh, big family. There was 12 of us in it, 11 still alive, thank God. So we moved up in 1966. So... Uh, again, that's one of the reasons maybe why I am so conscious of uh, trying to maybe help the weaker counties in the country because just by a movement from one place to another led me with a chance of winning all Ireland, which I probably wouldn't have had if we had to stay living in Leitrim. And what was the circumstances? Did he sell up the farm? And yes, move and moved to, to Mead and uh, we, we came to screen in Mead and we were fortunate in that sense because it was a great football tradition in the, in the club that we moved to as well. Screen were, are one of the oldest, are the oldest senior club in Mead, unbroken senior since 1937. Whereabouts is Screen? Is it close to Navan? Or About 10 it? miles from Navan on the Dublin side. So it's a rural parish but it had a great tradition of football. No Mead team that ever won in All Ireland uh, won it without a screen man on it. So that's one of the proud boasts of the locals. Okay, let's start with your. You went to school where you're now principal, which is yes. quite unusual. The alma mater. Tell me, it, it's called a classic school. What's that all about? Tell well, me it's about classical. Classical in the sense that uh, Latin and Greek, of course, were two subjects which were always prioritised in the school. And I'm glad to say that Latin still continues in the school and I, I hope that it never dies on my watch anyway. It will be there while while I'm principal and uh, whether somebody else decides to keep it on. It is of limited appeal, of course, but uh, it's actually growing again in our school. It had sort of gone very low, but it's back in the curriculum and there are increasing numbers wanting to do Latin. So we offer Latin, Spanish and French. This is, we're talking about St. Patrick's Classical School in Navan. You can't be serious with the old Latin. Like I, I, the only two Latin words uh, I speak are pro bono because I don't do anything pro bono. <laughs> but other than that, I can let Latin go. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, a lot of people would have the same feeling. But it, it, do you it, do Irish in the school? Oh, yes, we do <laughs> Irish, all right, yes. So it's the foundation of many languages and... and uh, I think that uh, classical learning is a valuable thing in itself. So uh, I think a lot of people who have done Latin would always say that they are glad that they have done it. And it's it's no handicap for somebody to have a little bit of Latin. OK, the Leaving Cert results are uh, out this week. It's a pivotal point of kind of moving from being a kid to being an adolescent and so on. A lot of focus on the points race, the CAO and university. Is our post-primary education system fit for purpose? 
Well, I think it needs reform, but the reform is coming. I think the, there's overdue need for an extension of the apprenticeship system, and that is coming, and it is uh, sort of needed badly. It has been too long an academic-based sort of education, and there's far too high a percentage going to third level. The big problem... To university. To university or to third level in general. The big problem that I would see, and, uh, you know, most schools now are concerned about their their position in league tables, and we we all have a look at that. Whether we like it or not, everybody looks at their position in the league tables. Sure, that's a good thing, to have some accountability and transparency for bad teachers. Well, but that that is not accountability for bad teachers. There's different systems needed in that way, but... Just because a certain percentage go to third level doesn't mean that the school is a success. One of the big issues is the fact that so many people who are going to third level are unsuited by it and are dropping out after year one. Now, are not getting through year one at all in college, and that is the big issue. That means they're unsuited to university or what? Or they're They're, just lazy? No, I'd say that it's unsuited to it, but uh, there is a sort of a feeling, I think, uh, among parents that... It's a sense of achievement for their sons and daughters to go to third level and they would be much better off in various types of apprenticeships. And when people associate apprenticeship, they talk about carpenters and plumbers and electricians. But there is a big extension of it into business and different Banking, areas. Banking, insurance, yes, white collar. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. And that, that would and be is that valid. all happening? It is happening. It's only beginning to happen. We're probably 20 years behind time. In a lot of European countries, there would be a far lower percentage of uh, fellows and girls of 16, 17, 18 going to third level. They go off in a different way. In Germany, for example, the percentage going to third level would be considerably lower. But they would do a career first and then an extension through the education system to back up a particular type of apprenticeship. So we have it backwards to an extent. Okay, and that's a very specific change and it's a a cultural change. But in general terms, the kids coming out after the Leaving Cert, in terms of employability, the world of work, uh, citizens, is our education system... Uh, better than when you started 38 years ago? Worse or the same or what? No, I'd say it's better. I'd say the standard of education is much better. I would say the standard of teaching is much better. The young teachers who are coming out now, I would find in my experience, are very well trained and uh, very committed. And the curriculum? The relevance of the curriculum? The curriculum needs reform. That is happening through the junior cert. It's probably not happening quick enough, but there are a lot of obstacles to change, particularly the unions who, who fear change but change is taking place it's change for the good it does need to be speeded up but the caliber of young people in the country that i come across whether through football or education are superb well that brings us on to the asti we sitting <laughs> in, in that chair last week was kieran mulvey yeah. and and he you know he had, was a former general secretary of the asti and went on to be a, a national uh, fixer a mediator he said the problem with the asti was that they were too insular. They were in their own world, a cocooned world, and they, they missed what was happening in the real world. You've written about that actually the union was hijacked by Trotskyites and the far left. Just tell us your perception of the ASTI. Well, my perception of the ASTI has been that they have been a barrier to educational, badly needed educational reform, and that they haven't served the education system or the teaching profession well in their barriers to all types of change. And I think that the leadership of the ASTI has been poor and it has been insular. 
and it hasn't served us well as a profession. It also has given very bad public relations uh, coverage too, insofar that uh, a lot of the, the general public would would sort of say, oh, it's not the teachers at it again. And uh, when they would see that they have quite a, a cocoon type of job. And it's I think that puzzled me about the ASTI. You see a ballot over the junior cert or over pay, and there might only be... 25% turnout of voters. I mean, these are the people that we entrust to bring on the next generation. What is it about teachers? Well, I don't know. It, it, there has been a lot of problems. And uh, I suppose the, the problem from my point of view is the STI always say no. <clears throat> That's the starting point. And uh, things have improved. At least the junior cert is got, uh, reform is coming in. But... Uh, what the STI need to do is to, to show a bit of leadership on policy and design a policy for the future that they see which would be more beneficial than the one that they always seem to wanting to block. So they, they have to give a lead in demonstrating some type of new initiative that they see would be of benefit both to students and teachers. We've been speaking, Colm, earlier on the show about the lost generation, um, you know, the, the, the impact of, of the crash. What, what's your take on that? You, you've lived through it all? Yeah, well, I've written on it as well. I think there, there is a generation of people, particularly those for who, who went to school, maybe between sort of uh, who would have been doing the leaving in 2005, 2006, 2007, for about five or six years. A lot of them have emigrated. And a lot have had to to go abroad. In a sense, going abroad, I don't think, is a huge handicap to people because they come back here with extra skills and maybe drive an entrepreneurial ability. But uh, I think that we manage the whole thing very badly. I think that the idea that we set up an agency whose primary role was to seem sell the best property in the country this is to now. foreigners. Yes, and I have railed against that in the same way as I have against other things. And I think that... The, the short-sightedness of the people involved that we've handed away the best property in the country to foreign investors and that uh, the only one that wouldn't be sold to was Paddy at that time and I think it's rebounding badly on it and we have a definitely a lost generation but the opportunities are there now. I think this new group are coming out into a much better Ireland, uh, a more open Ireland, an opportunity... Uh, 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 an Ireland of opportunity. So I think the future is very bright for young people now. And and certainly, I mean, the crash upended my life. Uh, I, I lost everything having worked for 30 years. I mean, what do you think is the legacy of the crash in Ireland? Well, the legacy of the crash was bitterness and rancour and, of course, uh, the demonisation of a group of people, the builders of the country. Most of the builders I know in my local area are the most decent, hard-working people who employed a lot of people, who put money into sponsorship, put money into their local community. And then people seem to think that just because the, 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 the whole country crashed, that these were the people that could be targeted. And a lot of very decent people who had worked hard, I think, came out of it badly. Obviously, there were a few who lived the, the high lifestyle. But I know no builder or no developer or nobody else who went in to a bank with a balaclava and got the money without being handed it or coming home in the evening to find a letter saying from the bank, do you want more money? Call in and we'll give you more. So, like, I think that uh, the media in general uh, targeted the wrong people in all of this and demonised particularly builders and developers. Of course, they were the easy target. They they brought down the country and they brought about the crash. In actual fact, in my opinion, it was poor regulation by bankers 
and uh, that was the main cause of the problems in the country and that the wrong people got the, the, the worst of it. And of course now with the huge lack of housing output and housing shortage and rocketing rents and so on, the builders aren't there. No, well... They've been smashed? They've been smashed. The the people who who would have helped rebuild the country, of course, had either to go abroad or the the policies of the day made sure that they weren't going to have access to the funds uh, which were needed to build the houses. So we're running into a housing crisis which could have been averted, I think, if there was a far better and far more far-sighted policy by those in authority. The specialists in the area were put out of business. So we need a new generation of builders come along when they, when they were there already. And and you had a particular project outside of Navan. What did you learn from that? Well, I learned that uh, when, when you're down, there are plenty of people who will kick you. And uh, I suppose, you know, I got into a project with my eyes wide open Nobody twisted my arm to do so, and it it went wrong. So you know you have to pay the consequences of that. But like it makes you a more resilient person, and uh, you get to know who your friends are very quickly. <laughs> but I would have thought after twenty years uh, with that violent Meath team, that wouldn't have been anything new to you. Well, <laughs> I think violent might be too strong a word for them. They, they were a hardened b- bunch of people. All right. Psychos. Well, <laughs> I, I heard Liam Hayes using that. I, I didn't know who he was talking about. I hope He said it was, it was one of the backs uh, anyway, uh, and it was, wasn't the <laughs> usual suspect. <laughs> I escaped that one, but, uh, uh, you know, I, brought, I, I played in a tough environment. I played against teams who were tough and hard, and it was uh, uh, survival of the fittest at that time. Uh, the game has become less physical and it's more skillful probably and there are a lot of better players now. The game has evolved. But I think the upbringing that I had coming up in a big family shaped my life. Playing with the Mead team shaped my life and I think it taught me a lot of the best values that there are in life. It is a huge part of your life and we're going to get on to the controversies about Sky and elitism <coughs> and you're even on about Darwin today and the Sunday Independent. But let's just speak about the importance of the J first and what it means, especially in small towns or local communities. And speaking to that, we had your old teammate Liam Hayes in that chair a few weeks ago and speaking how, about how the GA and club helped him recover from the suicide of his brother. Here's what he said. To mention what I mentioned a moment ago in terms of the GA, Jared took his own life in, in our local football field. The night he went missing, it took us about four or five hours to find him. Myself and my uncle Brian Smith, we found Jared in the field, having taken his life. And so for me, it was, as my only brother, you know, it, it seemed my own world had ended. But again, within a week, Colin O'Rourke came into my house and literally dragged me down to that football field to play a game of football on that same field with my local club screen. And the manner in which you know, Screen Football Club, the people in that club helped me, helped my family. In many respects, they brought me back to life because when you think, how would you go back to a place, a field, train there in the dark, look at those goalposts, play football matches there with two, three thousand people? How would you do that in the place, the very place where your brother ended his own life? And I was able to do it not because of my own courage. Obviously, I had to have certain levels of bravery, but it was because of the people around me. Um, very moving words there from Liam Hayes. Yeah. GA literally a lifesaver? Oh, it is for a lot of people. Like Liam Hayes is, it was a club mate of mine. So, like, you know, to me it wasn't a big deal. He was a, a, a loyal friend and a trusted colleague and a, a wonderful footballer as well. So, you know, for me it was the easiest thing in the world, as it was for all the members of our club and the members of our team. 
and I see that all the time in 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 every club. You know, I'm heavily involved now at uh, club level in Simonstown. I think that's the real GA for me. That's far from the big crowds, far from the money, far from the television, far from everything else. Uh, last night I was at a match with my club. We were involved in a senior championship match against Sanchestown and uh, all the local people were out. We went back had a, back to the clubhouse afterwards. That to me is what the, the GEA is really about. It's local communities, local support, everybody helping each other out. And it's not just football, it's not just the game, but it's uh, an extension of life itself. OK, uh, so... It is It is the community, it is that, and, and that is well stated. Uh, but you're calling for a socialist revolution now in the G. What <laughs> on earth are you on about? Most, most people would see me as being very far from a socialist that reckon I'd be more of the capitalist line. But I, I think that the, the capitalist philosophy underpinning most sports is completely opposite to the, the real values and real principles of the GEA. Uh, I don't... Elitism is going to come to the... To, to the surface anyway. Like, uh, Simonstown won the senior championship for the first time last year and it was a wonderful achievement for us and one of the great days for me and my family. But at the same time, it's the community element that's important. It's the fact that fellas can go out and play at junior level and have an opportunity to win or at intermediate or at senior, which is denied them at county level. So I think that we need a redrawing of the sort of boundaries of which this All-Ireland Senior Championship is about because the strong are always going to be there. They don't need to be looked after in a Super 8 or anything, but there is a big need to look after the weakest counties. A lot of the players are beginning to get turned off. They have no chance of winning, so why put in this huge effort? They go back to their clubs and enjoy something where they have an opportunity to win. OK, and you've railed against three things in, in particular, and you've called on the Blazers, as we'd like to call them in another sport, to do something about this at Croke Park and, and council level and so on. The Sky Deal, the GPA and the Super 8 you write about today. Um, OK, let's, let's take them in order. The Sky Deal, right? I am sick to the back teeth of listening to RTE pundits given out about the Sky Deal. And uh, sorry, they also tweet about how they love the Lions matches and all that kind of thing. The fact of the matter is, what do you guys in RT want? Do you want a monopoly? The fact of the matter is, if I was living in Swansea, the only way I could watch a match other than online was through Sky, which is, which is a plus. But secondly, there is a reality here in everything that the Croke Park are trying to do. And this brings us to the weaker counties, which is, if you put on London versus your beloved Leitrim, I tell you what, we'd have empty stands in Croke Park. What people want to watch is the best taking on the best. And that while you'll have one-sided matches, people can't wait for Dublin and Tyrone. People can't wait for Dublin versus Kerry. And that is a competitive consumer sport. People can go to the Aviva. They can watch the Premier League. They can go to the RDS today. The fact of the matter is the GA is successfully competing and you're just slagging them off for it. Yeah, both. Why would there be a contradiction with having the big games Dublin against Tyrone and still looking after the weakest counties and putting them into a proper competition? There's no contradiction there at all. The whole idea of Sky to me, Sky is fine, 
I rushed home from, I was at a ju- uh, an intermediate championship match on Friday night because I wanted to see the end of the Arsenal game and I, I was wanting to be there for to see Giroud scoring the winning goal and I watched all the Lions games. There's no contradiction, but the GAA is not about Neymar moving to PSG for 200 million. It's a different concept altogether, a different reality. The, the Sky deal has disenfranchised Hundreds of thousands of people from watching the game. You take last Saturday. Not so abroad. Not so abroad, where they can't get RT. Well, they, they can't get TV three. I mean, no, the fact no, of the matter not, is, that's not true. They can watch the game online. There is a facility for anybody. Yeah, and if and you have broadband, if you have broadband. Yeah, but you're like everybody has broadband. Well, no, there's lots. Of, there's the lots of areas. You go to West Wales. There's not a lot of broadband in certain areas. The point I'm trying to make to you is this that the GA are making commercial decisions. They've actually, they're perhaps the most professional organisation in the country, Park, and they're being slagged for it. And there's a constant crowd of cribbers in RTE and they're unrepresentative of people who actually pay good money to watch matches. Yeah, well, I I don't think we're unrepresentative. I actually have never spoken to anybody who seems to favour the the Sky deal. You look at the percentages that are looking at the games. First of all, by giving the deal to Sky, you... Rule out every Republican in the country is in favour of it anyway. Oh, absolutely. But like the GEA also have a policy of of uh, trying to tackle alcohol problems. So it's a bit ironic that Diageo are a huge sponsor. I mean, like, let's be (laughs) honest about that. Yeah, but like, you know, this is the contradictory of uh, contradictions of GEA policy. But I'm saying don't slag the GEA for being good at what they do, which is being professional and getting money into the into the organisation. The GEA is me. It's everybody like me. But it's not so, just you. I know, I know that, but like, I'm not slagging off the GEA because the GEA is part of what I am and everybody like me. But if you rule out a huge percentage of the people, particularly young people and old people... who From either, playing in Croke Park? No, sorry, no, sorry, sorry, no. You're right. from, they're from, still watching the match. From watching matches. Uh, like, the reality of the thing, last year for the All-Ireland Final, Sky and RTE had the matches on at the same time. So yeah, people, they're dual. So yeah. the people could choose. Yeah. So what happened? Less than 1% watched the match on Sky. Now, last Saturday we had uh, Dublin playing Monaghan and we had Armagh playing Tyrone and Crow Park. Again, those sort of games would have normally attracted, if they were on free-to-air, five, 600,000. A very, very small number were able to access the matches. Now, it doesn't mean every single game should be available to everybody. But my point is that it's contrary to the principles of the GEA, which is a socialist model. It's not like the the other parts of the world. Why should it be? You're also against the GPA. It's not just guy. No, I'm not against any of these things. But I'm against the idea of selling the television rights like, if they sold them to the Sky for 100 million and every club in the country got 200,000. Sky I'd say is probably fine. paying more in than it's getting out of it, in fairness to Sky. But let's talk about the GPA. You, you, you criticise the GPA and you criticise this elitism. But this is the showcase of the sport. This is what, you know, punters want to watch. Yeah, but like, again, there's no contradiction be- between people wanting to watch the big games and looking after everybody else. Again, I go back, the GEA is not the capitalist world. It was never formed for things like that. What is wrong with railing against the system? It doesn't have to be the rich and powerful that dominate the world. There should be a different model and that's the model that I want to be part of. The GPA have a role. I don't see that they should be completely excluded, but I think throwing six million 
You know, I, when I was in college, I did economics and about resources and scarce means and alternate uses. And to me, much better off to spend a lot of that money on, on clubs and on ordinary members than this one and a half But if you want to get the best athletes to play football than play rugby or play soccer, surely that you've got to reward people at the top level. I don't, I don't think that that is the choice that people make. You know, you're not going to... It's not the, GP, it's not the GPA. It's the lure of like People would say Meath could do with a lot more professionalism <laughs> and get up to Dublin's levels of professionalism. Well, that's true. That is true up to a point, you know. And that's about resources. But it is resources. But it's playing resources, first of all, which is very limited in a lot of counties. So there is... Uh, starting off that there are some counties with a decided advantage. Tradition is also a huge factor in the GA. But it's not a matter of being anti-anything. I would think that the scarce resources could be put to better uses. Right, and that brings us on to the Super 8. I mean, people want to go to top-class matches. What's so wrong with the Super 8? Well, this is actually a way of getting the best play the best. Well, it is the way, a, a way, but it is, at, again, at the cost of the weakest. It's not the big teams that need more games in Crow Park. We see Dublin and Kerry plenty of times in Crow Park. What we do need is to see that counties who never get to play in Crow Park get an opportunity to do so in a competition where they have a chance of success and being able to improve just the same as a junior club in a county can build on the success but, of junior but, but, to intermediate. But, but, but I put it like this, you're trying to put on, like that's like saying Yeovil can be made into Man United. It just can't happen. You're, you're, you're daydreaming. Yeah, but Yeovil again is a professional outfit. This is not the professional world. This is what people can... Everybody's now being conned into thinking that just like rugby and soccer and every other professional sport, that the GEA should go the same way. I'm saying that we shouldn't go the same way, that we should build a model which is totally different to that. What's Joe Brawley really like? Joe Brawley is a pure gentleman and he has wonderful... You just throw him under the bus now and again. Yeah, well, wonderful wild and whirling ideas going on in his head on a continuous basis. And, uh, you know, I'm his warm-up sidekick. That's what it amounts to. A fluffer. To. That's <laughs> and I try, to, I try to rein well, him in But do you think he has successes. a good football brain? Yeah, I do. I do think he has comes across. Sometimes he over-eggs the cake. And, but I think that, in general, most of the points that he makes about things are valid. Sometimes I would have to say that he gets too personal and that he, he maybe shoots down people in, in a, a language that maybe is a bit forceful. But in general, I think that the points he makes are valid and when people go away and think about them. Also, uh, you know, I think the role of a pundit is for somebody to say, well, I bloody well don't agree with that or I do agree with that. And uh, one thing about him is he certainly is colourful and won't sit on the fence and give an opinion. And Pat Spillane? Well, it's the same thing. You know, they give opinion. And uh, uh, people sometimes think that our opinion is far more important than it actually is. All we are is three people sitting watching a game and commenting on it and our comments and our opinions on it doesn't mean that it's any more important than the ordinary person sitting in the stand or sitting at home. The game is what is important. It's not the comment. Yeah, well, you see, I mean, some people say that the pantomime is being carried too far. I mean, in addition to Dermot Connolly and in relation to Jim Gavin's remarks, surely he had a fair point that this wasn't jury by... Uh, the GA committees or DRA. It was jury by television. Yeah, but again, we gave our opinion. We, we had no role. And he ended up with a 14-week ban. Yeah, but we didn't give him... That was up to the um, central authorities in Crow Park. It was their decision. Do you think if, if the Sunday game hadn't covered it in the way they did, he would have got that ban? 
Well, I think the referee's report had gone in. It had nothing to do with the Sunday game. The referee's report had gone in and mentioned it, and that's what they investigated, not what the Sunday game analyst said on TV. But, so no, but are you looking for ratings over responsibility? We have no role to play in ratings. Nobody has ever said to anything to us about ratings. We make our comments. Uh, obviously, people take uh, exception to them at times. Sometimes people agree, but... That's our job is to is to give uh, comment. I think that. Do you ever think it goes over the top? Uh, and and you know, given it the amateur ethos that you've lectured us about this today, I mean, and so on. Do you, do you not think it runs counter to the type of effort and commitment that people are putting in, and they find then they're they're, they're put up for entertainment, yeah, and well, controversy. I, I do understand that, and I think in the dear McConley thing, there is a valid argument to say that he was tried and convicted on television before the authorities even had a chance to get the referee's report. But if that was the case, then you could comment on nothing on television until after a decision was made by the relevant authorities. So I don't think people would like that sort of idea if they went home on a Sunday or a Sunday night and turned on their television and wanted to see what happened in a game and we to put up our hands and say, sorry, we, don't, we are not going to say anything about this because possibly there could be a, a charge levelled by the referee. But sticking with the Sunday game, was Davy Fitz not right? Saying, you know what I mean, here you have these experts, but the people actually wearing the tracksuits on the sidelines have a very tough job and get very little understanding from pundits who are probably failed coaches themselves. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, he is absolutely true. There is no doubt about that, that a lot of the people on television... Hurlers on the ditch. Yeah, and it's easy. But I'm not one of them because I'm... I was uh, manager of the team that won the fourth championship for Simonstown last year. I have been a manager of a team that won three All-Ireland College of titles with St. Pat's and ten uh, Leinster titles. And I've but you've preferred the convenience of a studio to managing the Meath team. Yeah, but I, I went for the Meath team twice and I was turned down twice. So like, it's not as if I didn't uh, say that I'll take it on if you give it to me. I wasn't given the job. I did apply for it. I went for interview for it and I was turned down. So, like, again, at least I can make the valid comments because I'm actively involved almost every day of the week. In Despite the in 60, would you consider it if they came to you now, cap in hand? I think that bus has passed by. And actually, I think the present management uh, group that are there are doing a very good job. We've Average lagged, enough season this yeah, year. Yeah, we have lagged a long way behind. It's a long-term project in Mead. You know, nobody is as disappointed as I am to see uh, the, the youth of Mead not having the opportunity to experience the same highs as I did as a player. I'd love to see it, but... You know, we we have a long-term approach. I have been actively involved even in, in groups, working groups, to try and, and giving you direction at county board level. So it's I'm not one of the hurlers on the ditch sitting in the studio making the comments. I actually out there get my hands dirty. Colm O'Rourke, thank you for putting up with me and we wish you every continued success both on and off the pitch. Thank you, Ivan. Yates on Sunday on News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.